0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Borellis. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone.
1: This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud
2: and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free.
1: Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. (laughs)
3: Good day and welcome back to Gathered by the Ghostlight, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, sometimes voice actor on this thing. And today we are opening the door to episode number 28 with a new audio play written by playwright John Minigan. Mr. Minigan is a Dramatist Guild ambassador for the Boston region and has written many award-winning plays that have been staged all around the world and published in anthologies. His short play you're about to hear is called Closing Doors. When fourth grade teacher Sandra is criticized by assistant principal Valerie for breaking protocol in an active shooter drill, they must decide how they can save both their friendship and their students. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is Closing Doors, written by John Minigan, And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with the writer.
2: You're looking at it the wrong way. I'm not. There are procedures in place. I know there are procedures. And teachers have to follow the procedures. Every other drill. I did exactly We're talking what? about yesterday. The other drills were announced in advance. Sandy. I know, but Solomon was in the bathroom when it started. It doesn't matter where he was. It matters. Just because a kid has to go to the bathroom, the door has to stay closed until the drill is over. Every other time, I kept the kids in the classroom because I knew it was coming. You used to do the same thing. You kept the kids in the classroom, We have to have surprise drills, too. They're more realistic. Realistic. The rest of your class thought you were opening the door to let the shooter in. I figured it had to be a drill, and Solomon was standing in Officer Harmon could have walked right in and- He didn't walk in. I let Solomon back in and I closed the door. Once you lock the door, it stays that way until Richard gives the all clear. That's the protocol. What you need to do is write a letter of apology so Richard can let the parents know- You didn't see his face. He was knocking on the door trying to turn the handle. I took the paper off the glass and there he was, looking up at me, crying. He knew it was up to me to let him in or leave him out there. What's the protocol for that? Cover the glass again and go shelter in place with the rest of the class? This is why you put the paper on the glass. So the shooter can't see in. So under- you can't see out. We put the rules in place. Because the research says we'll save more lives that way. No. No. No, we put the rules in place so you don't have to decide if a student is in the hall, whether you open the door or not, because that choice has been made for you. By you? Not by me. By Richard? The principal, the school committee, the superintendent, working Then with- why am I talking to you this morning, not him? You're not talking to Richard because he's spending his morning on the phone with a lot of angry parents. Parents whose children told them you opened the door for the shooter. Then he can explain to them why- It was all over the parent Facebook group last night. He had 13 emails and I don't know how many voice messages by the time he got to school. So believe me, you don't want to be talking to Richard this morning. You're talking to me because I told him I would handle this as a matter between friends. I see. Thank you for doing that. Of course. I know yesterday must have been hard. It was. I'm glad to be able to help you through this. It's a simple ask. You get Richard your apology. He'll send an email out to the community. That's not a simple ask. I'm not sorry for letting He so- needs to assure the parents that this I'm is I'm not-, not going to lie. Don't think of it as a lie. How should I think of it? These parents send their kids to us five days a week. They need to know we're doing everything we can to keep them safe. I do. No, you took a risk. Belle. Every Tuesday morning when Mary Lou is in doing music with the kids, I sit out at the desk by the front door. Front desk duty. I know. To keep the kids safe. That's what we say, right? We're doing all we can to keep them safe. You used to be more upset about that than I was. You had the union file a complaint. I see the purpose of it now. Now that you're out of the classroom and in the assistant principal's office, you see the purpose of making teachers sitting ducks in case a shooter walks in. You're not a sitting duck. To slow the shooter down. After Sandy Hook, schools have to... Have to what? Parents feel better knowing a staff member will be the first encounter. First victim. No one's going to be a victim. Schools are still among the safest places you can- If we're so safe, why am I sitting at the front door every Tuesday morning? It's theater. Theater? It makes the parents feel better to know we're taking action. So this is your new job. Bullshitting parents so they feel like school is a safe place. It is safe. We're just reinforcing- It wasn't safe for Solomon. He heard Officer Harmon coming down the hall shouting, You're dead now. Lie on the floor and don't move. He would have been one of the bodies. How does he get over that? He's ten years old. How does he come back into my room after the drill, open a book, take out a pencil, and trust me and How do the rest of your students trust you if they see you open the door when there's a shooter in the hall? I'll explain it to them. I'll tell them, now you know what I will do if you're in danger. You know I'm going to protect you no matter what. I'll go into my classroom right now and explain it to them. Sandy, we're here to figure out whether or not you get to go back to your classroom. You're going to fire me? Between friends. I'm not going to fire you. Richard is suggesting administrative leave. Suspension. If you don't apologize. Suspension with pay. Oh, that's generous. Is it going to go on my permanent record? This is not something to joke about. No kidding. How do you feel about this? I think there's an easy solution. Send Richard a letter, an email, apologizing for- I know what you think, Val. I asked how you feel. That's That's not what matters today. This is how you handle this as a friend? I'm telling you how to keep your job. It's my job to make sure Solomon doesn't have the worst day of his life. Isn't that your job too? An assistant principal has to think about all of the students. Was it worth it? The new job, the office, the raise? You applied for it too, Sandy. It looks like they hired the right person. It looks like they did. What if it was Chloe? Let's not. No, you're Chloe's godmother because I thought if anything ever happened to Mark and me, you'd be the best person to protect her, to raise her. So what if you were in the classroom yesterday and Chloe got locked up? I'm not going to argue hypothetical situations. Then let's talk about Solomon, because it wasn't hypothetical for him. He heard footsteps. He heard a man running through the hallway with a gun telling kids, you're dead now, lie on the floor. He didn't know it was a squirt gun. He didn't know it was a drill. So I'm sorry Richard has to follow up on some voicemails this morning, but that's not trauma. That's his job. And if you think that I did something wrong... Let's try to stay focused on what happened. If it was Chloe trying to get in... Sandy... No, if you think it'd be better to keep the door closed, then I made a mistake asking you to be her godmother. Let's not say things that... And maybe it's a good thing that you and Steven don't have any of your own. I'm sorry, Val. I apologize for that. I just wish I understood what happened to you. What if Chloe had been in the classroom? In your classroom? Would you open the door? You see? We have rules, so you won't have to make that decision. You need to tell Richard you're sorry you didn't follow the protocol. So parents will stop calling. So you can stay in the classroom. If we don't follow the rules, we have chaos. This is chaos. I'm afraid that's the world we live in, Sandra. And sometimes the best thing we can do is let a kid come in from that world and be safe. My kids are probably done with Jim. What do you want me to do? Go back and finish the unit on the Constitution or clean out my desk? I have to talk to Richard. My hands are tied. Nobody's hands are tied, Val. So you and Richard need to figure out whether to take your friend out of the classroom for trying to protect a little boy. And to answer your question, yes. If Chloe was in the classroom, yes, I would let Solomon in. For what it's worth, I'm going to leave the door open on my way out. Hi, Richard. It's Valerie. Yeah, I did. She just left.
3: That was Closing Doors, written by John Minnigan. It was performed by Marion Thibodeau as Sandra and Devin McSherry as Valerie.
1: Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome
0: to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: All right, so joining me now is the writer of this story, award-winning playwright, John Minigan. How are you, John?
0: I'm doing well. How are you, Jonathan?
3: I'm doing great. Uh, Now for people out there that aren't familiar with you and your work. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your playwriting background?
0: Sure. I, um about 35 years ago, I took a detour from playwriting, uh, into being a full-time teacher. I taught high school for 35 years, uh, often on grad school in the middle of that. Um, and I retired in 2018 and have been very focused on playwriting since. So I wrote a little bit, you know, in the summers, uh, while I was teaching theater and Shakespeare and running a drama program. And, uh, my output was was limited. I mean, I figured I could probably get a draft through a draft in the two months of a summer. Uh, but since 2018, I've been much more focused on writing, and I do a little bit of uh, teaching. I teach playwriting at a conservatory uh, near where I am. I'm in Framingham, Massachusetts. The conservatory is in Worcester, and a little bit of teaching now for Emerson College, uh, going and looking at student teachers uh, in their theater teaching placements.
3: Nice. So when you first took your detour. 35 years ago, were you teaching theater or were you teaching something else?
0: Uh, I started off as a math teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a double major in math and English, didn't have any theater in my background. And it was in the second year that I was teaching at a small private school that the drama director said, Hey, do you want to help out? And I said, Sure, I I like going to plays. Uh, I'll help out with the drama program. And I'd always been writing, I've been writing mostly poetry but a little bit of fiction and as soon as i started working on shows uh, i realized that this is way more interesting than teaching math this is what i want to do so at the end of my third year like i decided in that second year that i was no longer going to be a math teacher <laughs> so i uh, started the process of applying applied the following fall and then went to grad school for a master's in theater with a focus in playwriting but really sort of a general theater masters
3: nice, nice. so Here's a little bit of a fun fact. The first time I saw one of your stage plays was last year, the Barrington Stage Company's t- annual oh. 10-minute play festival. I had a play in the lineup as well, and oh, yeah. so I saw yours. It had a, a bit of a long title, so I don't know if I'm going to word it correctly. What was the
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, Dateless Bargain with Engrossing Death.
3: That's yeah. the one. That's the one. And I, I remember seeing that. It was one of my favorite ones that was performed at that festival, and after seeing it, I you know I knew this was a great writer that wrote this, and I read some oh. more. I, I dove into the New Play Exchange and read some more of your mm-hmm. short plays. And oh, one of the ones that stood out to me the most was "Closing Doors," the play that mm-hmm. the audience just heard. And uh, right. I knew you know it had such a meaningful theme, and the dialogue was so well written. I knew it was one that one day I just wanted to adapt it to an audio play and and put it on the podcast. And so I kind of put it in my consideration pile, and I had never contacted you about it. I was just kind of waiting until I had it ready to go, and I, I was ready to record it. But then, fast forward a little bit later, you emailed me, and, and you right. sent me <laughs> you sent me this script. You're like, "Yeah, could you? I'd like this to be considered for the podcast." And sure enough, <laughs> it was closing doors, <laughs> one that I already yeah, had yeah. kind of sitting, wanting to do, um, and just reading it again. It kind of built up. It built up the momentum in me and i I was like you know i think i think the audience is ready for this dramatic punch that i'm about to give them with with your story because um right you know it's such a such a great play
0: thank you thank you yeah and it was it was at barrington the year before dateless bargain was oh nice i didn't even know that. that was great yeah that was the first time i'd ever had a piece out there at barrington which is a great festival yeah closing doors was uh the idea for it came shortly after listening to, I think it was a podcast uh, about uh, interviewing some teachers who were at uh, Marjorie Stoneham Douglas uh, High School in Florida, where the shooting happened a couple of years ago. Uh, and I started really, I mean, as I said, I was a high school teacher for 35 years. I went through the trainings. I went through the drills with kids, the lockdowns, the, they called it at that point, ALICE training, you know, an acronym for like all the steps you go through. Um, and... I remember coming home from the, a day of training and told my wife what we did. And she was like, you know, that's crazy. Like, why are you going through this? is horrible. There has to be a better solution and another solution. Um, and I completely agreed with that. And I, you know, it was colleagues of mine who were leading the trainings. And it was so interesting that these people who I really liked working with and really respected were suddenly on the other side of that. Like, this is how you do this. This is the procedure that we go through. And it just seemed... So insane. Uh in the in the play, there's also the the discussion of front desk duty. I had front desk duty uh after Sandy Hook. They put a teacher out at the front door, sitting at a desk, no phone, you know, just just sitting there, uh to slow the shooter down mm-hmm. if a shooter came in. Uh and I said, Wow, this is really hey, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> I came here to teach kids uh not to become a human shield. Uh other teachers, you know, teachers do that, but that's not why we're doing it. There are other solutions to this problem, <laughs> which uh, unfortunately the powers that be are not addressing.
3: Yeah. So when you wrote this, this was kind of, you said you went through some of these same drills. So you, you already mm-hmm. kind of had passively, you already did the research just from your daily job.
0: Right. Right. And I worked with high school students who didn't, you know, I can't imagine elementary school kids going through these mm-hmm. drills. I mean, I guess I can. That's why I wrote the play, thinking <laughs> about the elementary school kids going through it. Uh, but just seeing the the high school students who were traumatized by it and you know, knowing that you know it's Tuesday, we're going to have a lockdown drill, and there are going to be members of the police department running through the halls with fake weapons, and they're going to be banging on doors, and we're going to stay inside. So the kids knew exactly what was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise drill. But I remember being in a theater class one day before one of those drills and one of the kids was just freaking out that like they were going to have to go through this drill in the afternoon. It was very traumatizing, even to a 16 year old.
3: So did you ever, in your experience, get a surprise drill like the teacher in the story did or were you always notified in advance?
0: Yeah, we were always notified in advance when it was coming, um, which is good because we could prepare for it and we could prepare the students for it. but there are schools that do surprise drills. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. just again unconscionable. I think. <laughs> yeah,
3: and you know the play itself, it you know it touches on a subject that can be very sensitive. You know, unfortunately, school shootings have happened, and your play gives us mm-hmm. this snapshot of how this teacher kind of broke protocol and she did what she thought was the right thing. Yeah, uh, and I know there's a lot of theaters that you know they specialize in in presenting plays that deal with social issues like that. So I'm curious when, when you were writing this story, were you, was there a specific theater that, you know, one of these ones that deal with social issues that you wanted to submit to, or or were you just writing another play to put in your collection to just put out anywhere?
0: Yeah, I was, um, I've been focusing since I retired mostly on longer works, uh, and I felt my my ten minute game was sort of neglected. Uh, so I was thinking about you know if I were to write a ten minute play, what would I write a ten minute play about? Uh, and again, as soon as I listened to this podcast, uh, I thought about it, and I think the first submission I made for it uh, was the Boston Theater Marathon. So I yeah I was specifically interested in writing a piece that would be for the Boston Theater Marathon. Uh, But it wasn't specifically for, you know, uh, theater engaged specifically in social issues. Okay. Uh, And one of the things
3: I love most about the story is that in the discussion between the teacher and the assistant principal, you found a way for both of them to make what seems like, you know, valid points, like both sides of the argument. And it, it happened. It's like that all the way till the end. Neither one of them ever give in to the other. And that's really important for the meat of the story and to, you know, maintain that conflict. And I'm did at any point, did you find it hard not to side with one or the other while they were having, you know, while they were trying to maintain their position?
0: Yes, I did. I, I, <laughs> I went into it absolutely with the teacher's point of view uh, and not with the administrator's point of view. But as I said, you know, going through these drills, the people who led the drills were, they were not like... Outsiders, they were department chairs, uh, so they're people that I knew and worked with. So I really tried to think about like, okay, if you are given the task that you want to try to save as many lives as possible if this event happens, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what you have to do. But I also wanted to, in in looking at this conflict as a conflict, which is not just about the social issue, but that becomes the the way that the long term friendship, a loving friendship, ends. Uh, It's really that these two people have been placed in this situation not by their own choice, but by the choice of people who are in the larger system. If something were done about the proliferation of guns and about background checks and about, you know, (laughs) not just doing whatever the NRA says, these two human beings whose relationship is now fractured would never have been placed in this situation. So I was really interested in looking looking at, I mean, a lot of my plays, Uh, tend to focus on the political stuff when it becomes personal Uh, when it affects the humans and and the way they live their lives and what their relationships are like yeah and i know so far you
3: said the play has had several stage productions as well as virtual productions Um, were there any any have any productions really stood out that you know the way they produced it or Mm -hmm. um has it won any notable awards or anything along the way
0: it won uh, best of best play of week number two <laughs> for uh, a festival that was in California. Um, it, it's published in the Best Ten Minute Plays Twenty Twenty One anthology. But there have been some really memorable production. The very first production, uh, was directed by Jonathan Carr at uh, Northeastern University, with uh, somebody who's on the faculty and then an alum from Northeastern. Uh, and that was for the Boston Theater Marathon. And that was just. They were heartbreaking. They were wonderful. Uh, there was also a production, video production last year for And Theater uh, that Miranda Jonte directed. She's directed and produced and been in a number of my pieces uh, with Maya Jackson and Darlene Van Alstein that was just uh, incredibly fine tuned. Uh, and there was another production that I, I will not name the theater where. Uh, it was memorable, but for different reasons, uh, (laughs) by page two, they were shoving each other. Uh, (laughs) and it was just a scream fest all the way through. And I said, wow, wow, this is really not, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I think all of us
3: playwrights have learned that, uh, theaters can, you know, they'll have their own interpretation of what's written on the page. Yep. Okay. So you have something exciting going on this weekend in Boston, could you tell us a little bit about what you have going on right now?
0: Sure, sure. Uh, Boston Playwrights Theatre every year does the Boston Theatre Marathon, which in uh, when it's safe to go into the theatres is, is relatively safe now. It's uh, 10 hours of short plays. It's 50 plays by 50 New England playwrights produced by 50 different New England theatre companies in 10 hours. It starts at noon. It's over at 10 p.m. Uh, and it's a fundraiser for the Theater Community Benevolent Fund, which is an organization that raises funds for theater artists, local theater artists who are have fallen on hard times. Uh, and it is it's kind of like the theatrical event of the season in Boston. Uh, it's so much fun. Uh, so many theater artists are there. Everybody volunteers their time uh, this year because of uh, COVID restrictions. It's the first year in a while that there are no equity actors in the cast. Um, so it's going to be a lot of new faces performing, which will be fun. Um So it's, yeah, it's, it's a a great event. I have occasionally gone in and done the full 10 hour day. I've got some other stuff going on tomorrow. So I'm going to, uh, they're live streaming, uh, which anybody can do from anywhere. Uh, it's not recorded, unfortunately. So by the time this comes out, it'll be over. But, uh, so I'm going to live stream the first four hours and then I've got a speaking gig and then I'll go into Boston for the last two hours, uh, uh, where I have a piece called lowest returns that is very, very different. Um, it is, uh, Lois Lane uh, explaining why it's really terrible to have a superhero as a boyfriend oh, a <laughs> monologue in the form of a Zoom therapy session.
3: All right, that's awesome. You know, you 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 know, just the production history of your plays. You know, only since 2018, you've had an amazing impact on theater, as well as your fellow playwrights. Uh, a lot of people might remember the episode from December. It was called North Pole Noir. Oh yeah, and, uh, and when interviewing the playwright. Patrick Gaybridge. After that episode, he mentioned you um, oh, that wow. you had you wrote the play Noir Hamlet, yes, and that's what gave him the idea. You know, it was a, it was an adaptation of Hamlet in this film noir type style, and he right. said that right. your play is what gave him the idea um, for North Pole Noir. So you're just inspiring right. people all over the place. <laughs> the Boston Marathon you got going on this weekend. By the time. This episode gets released, we're recording this on Saturday, and it'll probably be released on Wednesday. So by the time people hear this, that'll already be done with. But what's next for you after that? Like, where can people see the next John Minigan play in a theater near them? Or if you have any other creative endeavors going on?
0: Yeah, yeah, there are a few things coming up. Um, The weekend of of May 14th, Saturday night, May 14th, there's a play of mine, Queen of Sad Mischance," that just won the Louise Wigglesworth uh, Excellence in Playwriting Award. I'm trying to remember the phrase of it uh, at the Laboratory Theater in Florida. Uh, And so they're going to do a reading of it, um, which is not going to be on Zoom. It'll just be live. So I will Zoom into some rehearsals, but I will miss the reading. Um, I have a couple of full lengths coming up. In the summer, uh, for anybody who's in the New Hampshire area, uh, and Center Sandwich, New Hampshire, uh, Advice to the Players is going to premiere uh, The Merchant of Venice Beach uh, is the play. It's an LGBTQ uh, climate change rom-com with songs. Uh, It'll be an outdoor performance that'll run for two weekends. Uh, and then I'm, I'm in the process of drafting uh, a piece. Um, it's an adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow that'll have a world premiere at uh, Greater Boston Stage Company. It's a solo show written for an actor, Paul Melendi, uh, who's a wonderful local actor. He was the title character in Noir Hamlet when it was performed in Boston and at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, and he, so he said, you know, do you ever think about adapting Legend of Sleepy Hollow? I always wanted to play Ichabod Crane. I said, okay, I'll do it if you do it as a solo show. And he gulped and said, okay, fine. So (laughs) so those two full lengths are coming up uh, in the next six months or so.
3: Nice. And where can people find you online? You have a website or are you active on social media at all?
0: Uh, yep I am on uh, Facebook and Twitter and a little bit on Instagram I'm trying to do more with Instagram but it's it's uh, uh, I'm an old man and it's hard to get used to new social media uh, uh, I have a website johnminigan.com and I'm on the new play exchange uh, as all playwrights should be all right
3: well thank you for joining me and joining us and uh thank you for giving or letting us hear this this story that, that you wrote that's wonderful um, and I hope that we can collaborate again in the future
0: yeah me too thank you so much Jonathan it's been a pleasure
3: thank you all for listening intro and outro music as always is provided by artist JK47 the featured score for this episode was provided by composer Exist Strategy if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce this play on your stage please send an email to gatherbytheghostlight at gmail.com or you can reach out to the playwright directly at his website johnminnigan.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghostlight on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we Gather by the Ghost Ghostlight.